Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Hey there, Charles. Hi, Joe. Well, look, we're here again. You know we're going to end up talking about the Vikings. A little bit of history was made this week uh, when we saw them make the greatest, biggest NFL comeback in history. How do you feel about that, first of all? Because, obviously, tremendous achievement for the Vikings to come back, but you've got to ask questions about how they ended up in that precarious position in the first place, especially against a Colts team that have been struggling all season. Absolutely. So just suck that in the greatest comeback in NFL history. Uh, previous to that, it was the Bills back in 92, I think, overcame a 32-point deficit. But I think there's only been three times in the history of the NFL where more than 30 points have been overcome. So massive, massive comeback. It couldn't be against anyone other than Matt Ryan, who now has a record for the uh, largest lead lost as a quarterback in Super Bowl, largest lead lost as a quarterback in a regular season game, largest lead lost as a quarterback in an international series game. Of course, it's not the quarterback's fault entirely when these things happen, but it just always seems to be Matt Ryan in these situations. What does it mean for the Vikings? Well, it was a horrendous first half watching that game on Saturday, first day of my leave. It's pretty depressing, really. The defense was terrible in the first half, but they weren't making adjustments. And I think the reason they got into a hole, aside from chasing the game, was not making adjustments. And Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator for the Vikings, has been very slow to make changes through the season. He goes into games with a bend, don't break, give up three rather than seven mentality, but that just wasn't working. Then the Vikings were chasing the game and they were making mistakes. You're chasing the games, you're not converting on fourth and one twice, you're not working the uh, fake punt. Like, I mean, that was a fake punt, they should have converted, they didn't. They just made mistakes in chasing the game, which made the hole deeper. But then the second half, Charles, I mean, the way the Vikings played in the second half, no team was going to stop them. And, and it's arguably the best half of football that any team has put together this season. It's still a lot of question marks about this Vikings team. You look at teams who are more consistent, you you know, the Eagles, uh, even teams like the Cowboys who lost this week are are looking more consistent in the NFC. But the Vikings are 11-3. They're guaranteed no worse than a third seed in the playoffs. They're going to be playing January football, for sure. And they're champions of the NFC North, for all you Green Bay fans out there. Yeah, you see, the thing about the Vikings is I, I never, certainly this season, I never worry that their offense isn't going to show up. You might not get all four quarters of offense from them, especially Kirk Cousins. If he doesn't start well, he's sort of, they they do get into trouble. They can find themselves spiraling down, but you, you always get decent offense from the Vikings. It's the defense that always troubles me. I mean, they have... They've looked really bad defensively. And as we know, you know, defense is such an important part of the post-game season. And, you know, they did a fantastic job pulling it back against the Colts this week. But when they come up against some tougher teams, if they start poorly in the playoffs, are they going to be able to come back in the same way that they did in playoff football? Well, it's the attitude they go out there with. When you look at the first off, like I said, they played this bend, don't break. And I think that's potentially because Donatel doesn't have faith in the defensive backs that he has. He's got Patrick Peterson, one of the all-time greats, sure, all right, towards the end of his career now. But you take away Peterson and that defensive back group is either extremely inexperienced or average. In the last few weeks, though, some of those 
more inexperienced players have started to play really well. Look at players like Shandon Sullivan. You look at players like Duke Shelley, who's just come from nowhere and was massive in the Bills game and was massive in this Colts game as well. When this Vikings defense plays aggressively like they did in the second half, they can be an extremely effective unit. Now, that second half was the best I've seen the defense play all season. It was also the most aggressive I've seen the defense play all season. When they sit off, they're going to let teams come and score against them. And just what you say, the offense do normally show up. But the two games where the Vikings have got blown out this season, they didn't. Against the Eagles and against the Cowboys, I think in those games combined, the Vikings scored 10 points. So when the Vikings offense doesn't show up, the Vikings will lose. But the defense just needs to change its approach and just it's got to be more aggressive going through these playoffs. Or like you say, good teams will score against them and they won't let the Vikings score as much. Okay, so there's a couple of points within the game that we want to go into in a bit more detail. Uh, Just very briefly, I know you mentioned the non-converted fake punt. Look, it wasn't executed correctly, but I didn't hate the call. I don't know if you had a different opinion on that. Right? No, no. I, I quite like the aggressive play calling from an offensive standpoint. You're, you know, seventeen nil down in the first half. Things haven't been going. You've got to try and get something going, and those can be the momentum shifts that kind of make things work. So, no, the the call was right, and the way the play was set up was right. Just right. Yeah. The the uh, punter just floated the pass way too high. And it was execution, but I think everything else was correct with the decision there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then. Moving on to non-correct decisions, Joe. Um, you, you can't look at this game and not talk about the refs. Refs is going to be something that's a theme through the show. I was obviously on a rager watching the Vikings game with the bias I have towards the Vikings with the refs. But there were so many games this week. And this game week, which was... Probably one of the most exciting game weeks I can remember for a long time. The amount of close games, the amount of exciting games. It was incredible. But the one black mark on this week were the refereeing decisions through the week. And there were some terrible ones out there. And it started on Saturday night with the Vikings. And we saw we saw questionable calls. The questionable call I'm talking about here is blowing the play dead, which the Vikings created a fumble and returned for six points. The play was called dead, but it was arguably called dead too early. And it was called dead in the kind of act of the Vikings creating a fumble. Now, at the end of the day, the play was called dead, so fine, whatever. But you would probably say, hey, the refs were a little bit too quick on the whistle there. The second fumble recovery that was called back was an outrage because this was a play where the Vikings had created a fumble, had recovered a ball, and then the referees called the play dead on forward motion. You can't call the play dead on forward motion if the player doesn't have the football anymore, and the player hadn't had the football for a good second. A fumble had occurred, and the Vikings returned that fumble for six points. This was as clear as day, and this was a terrible, terrible refing call. And ultimately, the Vikings won, the right thing happened, but can you imagine if the greatest comeback in NFL history didn't happen because of a stupid referee call like that yeah so i mean the second one was absolutely outrageous like even in real time you could see the ball got punched out of his arms whilst he was still traveling forward at full pace he lost the ball so early in that play so early there was absolutely no logical reason why that should be blown up for forward motion and you could see it in real time you certainly didn't need to review it you know, on the cameras, they did, and they they overturned it. But the problem is, by that point, you can't you can't award the six. No, and what I don't get about this, Charles, is is all through the season, in so many games previously, we've seen refs let plays play out. 
And, and that's been the mantra that refs were told at the start of the year. Don't blow your whistle unless there's any danger to the players. Otherwise, just let things play out and then we'll look at the video afterwards to see if we need to call it back. But because they blew their whistle, because they called it dead, you can't then bring those six points back. They're gone. It's it's dead. And so they absolutely ruined that play there where they didn't have to. And that comes to the point around consistency, really, because, look, you can say, oh, well, actually, the whistle should be blown up. Whichever side of the fence you sit on, you can kind of live with as long as all games are ref the same way and everyone's getting the same, you know, cut of the grass there. But it's that's not how it's coming down. And you, you have these big inconsistencies. They're called one way for one team, one way for another team. It's one rule one week, one rule another week. And, and that is what really, I think, gripes fans. Now, around the forward motion for the for the first part, I just wanted to get your view on this because I think, I mean, obviously we've said it's it's a debatable call whether that was forward motion or not. You've seen them given, you've seen them not given. You know, in my mind, it, it felt like he had stopped that forward motion. But the point that I wanted to discuss was that offensive player was still actively trying to gain additional yards so that, what's your view on that should forward motion be called when there's clearly no more forward progress or do you think an element of do you know what if the offensive player is still trying to gain extra yards then the ball's up for grabs this is a great question here charles and i think that we've had a discussion previously about how the rules have shifted so much these days that it's almost unfair to the defense and what you've basically just described there is that the offense is gambling with no consequences they can push forward and and try to gain those yards but there's no consequences for the defense kind of trying to get stuff back on them and it just makes it harder for the defense it makes it an imbalanced game i think that if you're doubling down and you're trying to push for those yards you're fair game if you stop trying to push forward if you accept and concede and yield and say this is how far i've got one then fine blow it up but if you're pushing then a forward motion i don't really think can be called in my personal view yeah no and i agree and i think that's potentially where a rule change needs to come in because it's massively stacked in the favor of the offense and you need to be punished if you're still actively pushing and trying then why can't the defense actively be trying to cause a turnover it feels like you can't you can't have it both ways you can't have it both ways 100 percent Cool. Yeah. Just the last thing I want to touch on this game, Stefan Gilmore is on my blacklist for life right now. Um, <laughs> no, like, seriously, we spoke about it kind of previously. One of the most frustrating things in football, I think one of the worst things, is where you have terrible teams, rubbish teams like the Colts. The Colts are a joke team this season. They're not making playoffs. Their season's dead. Where you've got players in that team then who are actively trying to injure good players on good teams, I think is an outrage. And Stefan Gilmore should have got an extremely hefty fine for his behaviour in the Vikings game. The play I'm talking about was a, a play he was blown up on. He got a 15-yard penalty for unnecessary roughness. But the way that he tackled Justin Jefferson, he aimed his helmet at his jaw when Jefferson was jumping. And he jumped his head into his jaw purposely to hurt him. I, I mean, do you want Antonio Brown? This is how you get Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown was an articulate, sensible man until Vontae's perfect ruined him. And what Stefan Gilmore was trying to do to Justin Jefferson was the exact same during this game. It, it, this is what the NFL needs to look at more. Not stuff like forward motion 
it's receivers getting injured on plays like this by idiots on losing teams who are irrelevant. And I just, I, it, it just angered me so much because, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of, of Jefferson as a Vikings fan. But I think that most neutrals who aren't playing him enjoy watching his play, enjoy seeing a wide receiver doing well and, you know, setting records. And Stefan Gilmore was a bad loser. I just think it's terrible. Well, there you go. Just to wrap it up then, Matt Ryan, who managed to gain his starting quarterback job back when Saturday took over the team. He's now benched once more. Nick Foles is going to be the starting quarterback for the remainder of the season. But moving it on... Wasn't, it wasn't Matt Ryan's fault, though. No, and, it and, wasn't. And just to wrap up, Saturday's benched him. What did Saturday do during that game? Oh, nothing. <laughs> I heard the commentary at one point saying that when they spoke to Saturday, he claimed that the hardest part of his job was knowing when to basically throw down a review. If that's the hardest part of your head coaching job, you're not head coaching properly. I'm telling you right now, there are people in TV rooms in every team who tell the coaches when to throw the red flag. They literally have people in a room telling them when to do that. So he's not even doing that, Charles. There's a temptation to say, oh, it's games like this that show that Saturday doesn't know how to coach. He wasn't coaching in this game. All he does is hold a clipboard down the side and let the other people from his team make calls and make decisions. He's not calling plays. He's not taking practice. He's not doing anything. So it's games like this that will get him a not the long-term job at the end of the season. But it's not like he even did anything in this game because he doesn't do anything full stop. Yeah. Let's move on to the Jets and the Lions then. Another Big comeback win for a team. Lions managed to take it over the Jets. What did you think about this game, Joe? What did you see in this that you wanted to talk about? But the thing that I want to talk about is Aaron Glenn. Aaron Glenn is the defensive coordinator who the Lions brought in mid-season. And I think that he has been the main piece to the puzzle for why they're winning right now. The Lions in the last four to five weeks have turned into... You know, one of the hottest teams in the National Football League. Everyone knew at the start of the season that they could score points. They were in those exciting games. But to change them from an exciting team to a winning team is Aaron Glenn. Just a bit of background. Aaron Glenn was a secondary coach at the Saints from 2016 to 2020. That's when they brought in players like Lattimore, like Von Bell. And he harnessed those players and develop them. He's got a good eye for talent. He's got a good eye for making players better. He's been brought into this Lions team. And in these weeks he's been brought in, the points they've shipped has gone down massively now this Jets Lions game from a scoring point of view probably wasn't the most exciting game out there but they got over the line and and Aaron Glenn he is the X factor I think you know if they don't make playoffs this season it's going to be the factor that makes them a playoff threatening team next season and um, I mean Jets injuries Joe of, of which there are quite a few now are you buying into the fact that that played into this defeat I think that the Jets have been hit by injuries more so than other teams. Now, we always say it's kind of a mantra of a show that injuries are a fact of the NFL. You have to be able to plan for injuries. You have to be able to accept they're going to happen and then manage your team so that you win in spite of the injuries. Now, it's been harder for the Jets with those injuries than other teams. So it's not the factor. But you do feel that had they had a full roster here, they would have had a higher likelihood of winning, for sure. If they have had, you know, players like Brees Hall back, you know, some of the injuries that we saw start of the season, players lost the whole season, yeah. Would Mike White have made a difference? I don't really know. Yeah. I'm still not convinced on the whole Mike White, Zach Wilson thing. I think there's a lot of personal decisions that are being made and a lot of players' personal preferences on who they like more 
uh, in this Jets team being a factor to this. And true talent, I'm still not convinced on Mike White. I'm really not. So I don't think the Mike White, Zach Wilson thing would have made that much difference. But yeah, I think it's fair to say though that the Jets have been hit by the injury bug more than others. And you talked about personalities, preferences, chemistry in that sense. Do you feel that some of that responsibility needs to lie on Salah a bit? You know, as a head coach, is it not his job to make sure that the team rallies around a central figure? And if there's trouble at camp, is it not his job to unify people? It kind of feels this is really murky territory here with White and Wilson. And Wilson was was back in, which must have been deeply awkward for the team after they'd taken a position on White. It just all feels a little bit toxic and, and feels like it's something that's holding the team back at the moment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's that kind of second point you made there about just maintaining the harmony through the squad. You can't tell players who to like. You can't do those kind of things. But where you have a number of players outwardly showing such support for Mike White, which by implication shows that they're not showing support towards Zach Wilson. They're basically saying, we like White because we don't like Wilson. It's just a massive F you to Wilson. And for Salah to allow this, how do you allow players to come out and have t-shirts which are by implication just shunning your starting quarterback from a week back? It's just a mess of allowing that to happen for your team. And, you know, it's such a Jets thing to kind of do here. And at the start of the season, we were up on the Jets. We were happy for them. When we were 5-0 and and they were making great progress, we kind of like to see that. But when the players are acting like this, so petulantly, such the infighting, you almost feel like, well, you kind of get what you deserve. And what they deserve is to not make playoffs, which is what's going to happen here, Charles. They've basically got to win out the next three games. And the way they've been playing, they're not going to win out the next three games. But when players act like that, there's such an immaturity and it stops with Salah. Yes, you have player liaison reps, all of this kind of stuff. You have the sub-coaching groups, but it's just an embarrassment. Like, And those t-shirts, I think, were the pinnacle of the embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Joe, we talked about two pretty awesome comebacks this week. Let's talk about the biggest throwaway. You've got to look at, at New England Patriots. That ending series of play for that game, what on earth was happening? Well, yes, throw away. But what people forget in this game is that the Raiders were 17-3 up at halftime. So had New England won this, it would have been a massive comeback for the Patriots. And so rather than a throwaway, it was more the Raiders just managed to not throw it away themselves in a really messy way. Now let's talk about that play though, Charles. Who do you have at fault for this? Who do you think is the instigator of the troubles? It has to be Stevenson. The clock has run out. You're nowhere near the goal line. So a TD is almost impossible. You can't get a field goal. Time's run off the clock. So you take it to extra time. At least that's something that you control. As you pointed out, Patriots had the momentum. They were 17-3 down. They managed to get it all the way back. Take it to extra time. You can do that. I don't understand why going to like this kind of lateral motion play, it, it just doesn't make sense. Why are you doing laterals when you're so far away? Like if it was five yards, 10 yards, you'd go, yeah, okay, maybe you stand a chance of sneaking it over the line. But what, what were they, 30, 40? You're thinking this is mental. Take a knee. Obviously, Jacoby Myers, terrible throw, awful. It wasn't even in the same area code as another one of their players. And then Mac Jones... Look, 
on the camera, it looked like he just sort of sat down for that tackle. But you do have to say there was quite a tasty stiff arm involved there to absolutely steamroller through him from an expatriate player as well. So listen, there's there's a bit of blame to be shared about. But for me, uh, Stevenson started it all and he should absolutely know better. I'm, I'm glad you've kind of touched on all those bits there, Charles, because I was going to say the three axes in this sordid drama, I sound a bit like Artemis from It's Always Sunny there, but the three kind of, <laughs> the, the three main components of this disaster were Stevenson, your starting running back, Jacoby Myers, your number one wide receiver, and your quarterback, Mac Jones. And I think the most depressing thing here, if you're Bill Belichick, is that you're supposed to be building, like, you pride yourself on building teams with football IQ and intelligent players. And the three of them between them have done the most boneheaded play we'll see all season. Now, I agree with you. It was Stevenson who instigated this, and the, most of the fault has to lay with him. Jacoby Myers, of the three of them, although his pass was embarrassing, although he threw the pass that was intercepted, I think he was just going with a flow and he should have had the intelligence, he should have had the leadership to stop the play. He didn't. It was a lack of leadership that he showed more than anything. But he's probably the person I'm throwing less blame at. Mac Jones, though, like like you say, it was a filthy stiff arm from Chandler Jones. But players talk so much about looking for accountability, for leadership, for players putting themselves on the line. Mac Jones didn't want any of it. You've got to stop a defensive lineman. Now, these guys aren't fleet-footed. They're not going to jink and evade you. They're going to try and run through you. But if you have the bottle, you can wrap them up. You can put your arms around their ankles and you can bring them down. And Mac Jones didn't want to do that. I don't think it's a coincidence that this week we've seen Trent Brown like posts linking Jimmy G and Tom Brady back to the Patriots. Yeah, that's big. That is big. And, like, you know, we've got to say as well, we criticise Salah for not having that team control there. And, you know, for letting these kind of things come out. But I think it's slightly different when it's such a senior player like Trent Brown as well. These aren't like, you know, kids wearing T-shirts and thinking they're funny. This is a vet who's been around for a while and, and he's doing these kind of things. Mac Jones's you know, his body language for last, well, basically the whole of this season has been poor. He's been looking to blame everyone around him. It seems every single play he's blaming the offensive coordinator on the Patriots and just whinging. He's regressed in basically every single metric you can look at from being, you know, it doesn't look like it was a vintage quarterback class for all the quarterbacks who were taken in the 2021 draft. But of those quarterbacks who were taken, Mac Jones stood out. He played well last season. I think he was rookie of the year. He's regressed everywhere. We should have seen more commitment. He had the chance to save the game. He didn't. So you talk about fairness there. In the interest of fairness, Joe, and probably before we go on a massive tirade, there was a good call from the Zebra Stripes this week. Keenan Cole... That was a touchdown, right? Yeah, but I mean, they had all the cameras. They had the time to look at it. They should have got that one right. And when you looked at it from the right camera angle, it clearly was. The TV was showing an angle that made it look like not a touchdown. But when you got the definitive angle from on the touchline, yeah, it, it was clearly a TD. So one they got right, but one they should have got right. But we're going to move on now, Charles. There was so much the refs got wrong this week. And like I said, there were so many good games. I think it's easier to count the games that were bad than the games that were, you know, stunningly exciting. You know, there was a bad game with the Browns and Ravens and maybe a couple of others here and there. But so many exciting games this week. But so many games the refs had an undue influence on. So they were just missing stuff and getting stuff wrong. We've talked about the Lions game. We've talked about the Vikings game. The Chiefs game. The Houstons were playing pretty filthy football. 
There was one play where Kelsey made a play, got hit pretty rough. And I mean, the hit he took could have been called for defenseless receiver. Wasn't called. But when he's on the floor, you then had the uh, cornerback from the Texans, uh, King, lying on top of him, literally lying on top of him, which is a 15-yard penalty straight away. No call. And when Kelsey gets up and pushes him off him, Kelsey gets called for unnecessary roughness, 15-yard penalty on the Chiefs. It's a 30-yard swing because the referees just absolutely miss stuff. Everyone on TV saw this. And there's six refs who are watching this game. Then you had Giants and Washington game. That P.I., I don't understand how you look at that and don't see that as pass interference. Why is that? How are whistles swallowed at that moment? I think the ultimate meme that I've seen about this one is, you remember that kind of iconic scene from Titanic where they're on the front of a boat and like Jack's holding on to whatever girl in Titanic is called and she's got her arms out. That's literally what we saw. Arms around the waist, tugging someone. It's not even really PI at that point. It's like an early tackle. And just refs absolutely missed it. Now, <laughs> I've seen a few things that the NFL is technically classed as a entertainment industry rather than a sport, and, and therefore the refs can influence the games. Now, I, I'm not really sure of the legitimacy of that, but if you were cynical, if you were really cynical about things, you've got to really question what the refs were doing this week. It was, a, it, it was a bad day out for the refs. We saw some throwaways this week, but I think the biggest losers of this week, definitely the guys in black and white. Any ideas on how to improve it, Charles? I, do you know what? I, I actually don't because you look around a lot of the sporting leagues, you know, you look at Premier League, you look at NBA, there are constant mistakes, there's constant inconsistencies. I don't know how you get to a stage where you get everyone singing off the same hymn sheet. It seems to be impossible for every sporting league in the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, but I think that there are some very easy things to change. The referees are still part-time employees. They should be full-time. They don't get paid during the off-season. So there's that. You could pay them through the off-season and just improve them through the off-season. You could get more refs so that when you ref a bad game, you don't get to ref a week after. Now, Trey Blake will ref again next week when he was terrible for the Vikings and Colts. There's no consequences to refing badly from week to week because there's just not enough refs to rotate off. So I... I think there are changes, but I don't really feel that the league has an appetite to go and make the changes. Both seem like sensible suggestions. It would be good to employ something like that. But as you say, it seems very low down on the NFL's list of priorities at the moment. Very quickly then, Joe, let's do a little bit of a wrap up on some of the other stuff that we want to mention, but don't really have time for a deep dive on. Jaguars, massive comeback against the Cowboys, sent a bit of a shock to a team that felt like they were moving in a really strong direction and and decent playoff contenders does that change your opinion at all or is it just one of those games where Jaguars were awesome and Cowboys just weren't on their game this week the only thing that concerns me a little bit about this Cowboys side from what I saw against Jags was that they were getting so beaten in the trenches uh, the Jags were just out physically performing them on both the O-line and D-line and this Cowboy team, where their team kind of culture, their team identity is being so strong on the O-line, um, making holes for their runners and protecting their passer to you know open up the bigger chunk plays. If there is weakness in that O-line, I think it spells a lot of trouble for the Cowboys. Over the last three to four seasons, every time we've seen Dak play badly, and I'm saying badly like, you know, multiple interception games, not getting the 
offence going at all. It's when the O-line hasn't performed for him. And so the rest of the season, just playing out the rest of the season, you know, they're going to be in playoffs. That's set. They're going to be in the bottom half of playoffs because they're not going to surpass the Eagles as top seed. So all they've got to play for really is just to stay in that top half of the bottom half of the playoff ladder to show a stronger O-line. Just what I want to add to this game, though, that Jags interception, it was one of the plays of the week. There were so many plays to talk about. We could have talked about this game. We could have spent, you know, 20 minutes on it. But if people haven't seen it, check out that walk-off interception because it was a doozy of a play. Yeah, nice. Jalen Hurts, Joe, feels like a big loss for the Eagles. Yes and no, though. Like, I mean, Vikings in second seed are two games behind the Eagles and... The Eagles have the head-to-head advantage against the Vikings. So basically, the only way the Eagles are on top seed is if Minnesota win out and Eagles lose all of their last three games. I feel this injury could almost, almost be a bit of a blessing in that they already had the bye week, but it just gives Hurts even more time to rest up, recuperate. You can almost have Minshew just going for the rest of the season now and just slow things down. I don't think it's hurtful, just as long as it is what they're saying it is and he's day-to-day. If this is maybe more serious and they're not letting on to that yet, then it could be an issue. But no, as long as he's back for playoffs, I wouldn't worry about it at all. And then finally, we had Rams-Green Bay last game of this game week. I mean, I bet at the beginning of the season, the studios thought they had a real game on their hands there. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, it's a game that didn't really mean much I mean Green Bay are still mathematically in the hunt for playoffs but it kind of felt like a game that didn't have too much on the line yeah and this is what happens kind of towards the end of the season like you get these games that the studios pencil in as primetime games pre-season and I think that that, you know 95% of people would have said that the Rams versus Green Bay could have been playing for the top spot in the NFC at the start of this year. We didn't, but a lot of people did say that. It's not the case. Both teams are basically irrelevant right now. Shocking, really, how high people kind of had them and how low they are right now. But that's how the football league goes. And yeah, it was a Monday night game. I think probably a lot of people in the UK wouldn't have bothered staying up for unless they supported either of them. And I mean, you, Charles, even as a Green Bay fan, did you stay up for it? (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) There you go. Hosting podcasts and he doesn't even watch the games. (laughs) Live. (laughs) (laughs) All right then, Joe. Uh, We'll probably have a few shorter episodes over the kind of Christmas period. Everyone's doing their own thing and we don't want to get in the way of that. But enjoy the football this weekend. And I might speak to you next week. If you're unavailable... We'll get a sturdy stand-in that's hosted before. Good stuff, Charles. I hope I do get to speak to you next week.